your sister's court not Cora's not coming down? <laughs> All right, guys. Good to see you guys. You know what you know what holiday's coming up this week? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, yeah. And you know, I was I was gonna talk about or pray about being thankful, but I think you guys already did it last week, right? Um, James, you did it last week? So we probably don't need to, to pray about being thankful anymore, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, my point is, yes, we do need to be thankful all the time, right? Not just once a year on Thanksgiving, but every day. And so that's what I pray about, right? And I think that's one of maybe one of the weaknesses of being a Christian sometimes is we're not so thankful that we should be, right? And so I think the more thankful we are, the more we give glory to God, right? Right? All right, <laughs> let's pray. Father, we, we do thank you, Lord. We thank you for your amazing grace that's been poured out into our lives. And so often, Lord, we, we come and we thank you for the things in our life, but we don't thank you as the giver of those good things. And so we, we just want to thank you, Lord, for all that you are, all that you do. We thank you, Lord, uh, because you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. So I pray, Lord, uh, that uh, these little hearts, these little souls would always have a, a thankful heart for you each and every day, um, and that that thankfulness would give them, live them, give them lives that give you glory. And I pray that, Lord, for all your children, that we would be a thankful people, remembering what you have done and what you're doing in our lives. We pray this, we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and all God's children say amen. Thank you, guys. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. If it doesn't automatically just open up there already. We were um, talking to the boys, I don't know, a little while back about uh, phone numbers, which are quite foreign to young people these days. Phone calls are quite different. We used to all have this like Rolodex in our minds of all these different phone numbers. I bet you can still recall maybe your phone number from when you were you were growing up. Now someone calls and you don't recognize the name because it's not in your, your contacts, you just don't answer it. Send them, send them straight to, to voicemail, right? But that's not how it used to be. We used to not know who was calling and any of our calls, the phone would ring. And we'd pick up and we'd answer it and we'd have to wait to hear that voice to see if we recognize that voice. I could still hear my grandfather's voice uh, when he would call. Um, I grew up in a small town near the country. My grandfather grew up on a farm, so it, it would go something like this. The phone would ring. 
I'd pick it up, I'd say, hello, and he'd say, how do? <laughs> and I'd say, hi, Grandpa. And he'd say, how are you? And then I'd answer, and he'd ask for mom or dad. But you could recognize his voice, and I'm willing to bet that if you picked up the phone today and it was your mother or your father's voice, even if they've been gone a while, you would recognize their voice when they called. Who is calling and whose voice is on the other end, that affects how that call is going to go and what is going to become of it. We are sheep who know our shepherd's voice. When he calls, we answer and we listen. When he promises, we believe. We put our hope in those promises. And so today we're going to start to dip our toes into one of the greatest promises in the entire Bible. For many, it is their favorite verse but it's also a verse that many people will take out of context, misapply. So either way, it's a pivotal verse uh, because Romans seems to, to hinge on it, so we must understand it rightly, and that is Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who were called according to his purpose. So we have quite a lot to discuss in this passage here. There's those who love God, who are, who are those? There's this all things. What does that encompass? The is all things working together for good. What does that mean? And what does it mean being called according to? To his purpose. And then how's that all fit in context to what Paul is talking about here in Romans? So you can imagine uh, we're going to spend more than uh, just today on Romans 8.28. But before getting into the all things uh, working together for good, we need to learn who they are working together for. In other words, is it only certain people or is this for everyone, for everything that happens in the world, does that work together for everyone's good? And what is that good? Paul's going to state it is for those who love God. He's going to clarify it or add on to that to say it is for those who are called by God according to his purpose. So I want to talk about that call today, kind of work backwards in the verse Next week, we'll talk about those who love him, and, and in both, all things working together for good. So call, what does that mean? What does that mean to be called? When we use this word call in English, we need to be very careful by what we mean. It can be confusing, so we must define our terms. When I make a call, when I make a phone call, there isn't a guarantee that the other person will answer. I am speaking that I am reaching out, right? I am I'm trying to connect with that other person on the other end. What we sometimes mean by call is actually the gospel being preached or proclaimed. It's an offer that goes out. 
It's a plea with someone about who God is and what Jesus has done and what that means for their lives. Or it can mean us crying out to the Lord when we call upon the Lord. We're crying out to him. We are submitting to him. We are saying, here, here I am, Lord. I need you. Paul kind of puts those two together in Romans 10, verses 13 and 15. You can look at it. You just flip another page there. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a cry out to the Lord. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So God has designed his gospel call in such a way, to go out in such a way, I should say, that his people proclaim it to the lost. That call, if you will, that this is the good news of the gospel. Right? We take what has happened in our own lives, that I am a sinner, I was created by God, to glorify God, to worship God, to live my life for God in accordance with how God has said who he is and how I should live my life. But instead, I've chosen a different path and I've gone my own way. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to go what after I thought was good. Or I wanted to chase after what the world esteems is right and good and just. And so I've gone that way. And I have sinned against God. And that sinning deserves the, the punishment that God describes in this Bible and eternity away from him in hell. But God has made a way. That's the bad news, right? And here's the good news of the gospel. But God has made a way for us to become right with him and to spend an eternity with him. He has sent his son to take that punishment on the cross. He lived the life I should have lived. So that if I believe in him, if I put my faith in him, if I, what Paul said in that verse, call upon the Lord, my sins will be forgiven and his righteous life will be counted as mine and my place in heaven with him will be secured. And then the rest of my life then is a weeding out of that old self and being conformed to the image of his son, preparing me for that eternity in heaven. But there's a purpose also in my life that now that I've seen how great God is, now that I've seen how wonderful he is in my life, I'm going to proclaim those excellencies, and I'm going to call other people to do the same, to, to see that God exists, to see that they need him, to surrender their life. I'm not trying to get people on my team here. We're not trying to fill the, the seats. That's not the goal. I'm not trying to get everybody in the world to agree with me so the world's a much, much nicer 
place and easier for, easier for me to get along because everybody believes what I believe, people are dying. They are going to spend an eternity away from God. And we're on a rescue mission. And that call goes out. And that call goes out to everybody. That is the gospel call. It goes out to the whole world. We proclaim it to every single person because every single person needs the gospel. I proclaim it to you right now, right? Because I know every week somebody's going to walk in that door and maybe, who knows, maybe today's the day. Maybe they grew up in the church and this is just what we do. We come to church on Sundays. Maybe they're at a rough point in their life and they want to come and be encouraged. Who knows? But somebody's going to walk in that door and every week in my notes, somewhere is printed gospel, gospel call. Preach it, the gospel. And I'm not the only one who has this responsibility. If you have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, you have been called to proclaim his excellencies. Peter says it in those very words, 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That, those wonderful that's, this is who you are. And sometimes we just like to live in the, this is who I am. And we forget about the so that's. But Peter says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God calls us out of darkness into light with purpose, as we talked about in Sunday school. That purpose is to proclaim his excellencies. He uses you to bring more people to saving faith, to preach the gospel, to do the ministry of the church. So there's some good application right there, right? You take what he has done in you or you see what he is doing in you and you share that with somebody who doesn't know him. Or when brothers and sisters in Christ, because we need the gospel too, do we not? When brothers and sisters in Christ are struggling, you take what he has done in you and what he has showed in you, and you proclaim him to each other. We proclaim him to each other because we need the gospel, but we proclaim him to the lost. So you have a wonderful opportunity. Thanksgiving. I'm willing to bet many of us are going to be eating food, breaking bread with people who don't know Jesus. And that's tough. And that's awkward. We pray, we ask God, open an opportunity. Let me be real with this person who I'm interacting with. Not coming from this place of high and mighty and holier than now, but a real person, a real sinner who really needs Jesus, sharing with another person in the same condition. One beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. He's rescued you. He has opened your eyes. So tell, tell people about him. Tell others about him. It's a rescue mission. 
The church's job is to prepare you for this ministry. He has given you pastors and elders, teachers, to equip you for the work of ministry, Ephesians 4 tells us. So as you come in here on Sunday, or you come to Sunday school, or you go to a men's breakfast, or men's event, or women's ministry, or you go to small group, or you have, we have something like Christianity Explored, where it's really simple, and we invite people to come and watch, eat food and watch a video and just answer any questions they have about Jesus. But we equip you. You see, I'm proclaiming the excellencies of God today. I'm equipping you so that you can see them, you internalize them, and then you go and share them. Right? We don't come in. This isn't a consumer uh, place where we just come in and, and, and just be fed for ourselves and say, oh, that's really nice, or oh, I need to apply this. It's, it's that, but it's more than that. It works in us, and then it bubbles out of us, and we, we share that with others. It's a proclamation of the gospel. It's the gospel call going out. We can't save people. You can't control, and nor does God put you as responsible for what someone, how someone responds to that. Only Jesus can save. So we share with everyone, and we pray for that calling that he uses us to make to be an effectual calling. And I believe that's what is mean in verse 828. We're talking about all things working together for good for those who are called. So it cannot be that everyone who hears the gospel proclaimed that it goes out to, that, that cannot be who he means here in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, because we know that's not true. This calling that Paul's talking about here has to be something different, more secure, more effectual. And the word used for call in 828 isn't like a phone call or it isn't like a proclamation. That's a different word. It's a summons. It's like a king who gives out a summons for you to show up and you to appear. And it's implied in there that this can't be refused. When he calls, when he summons you, you don't say, I got something going on that day. It's you show up. Here's how Paul explains it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. He says, but we preach Christ crucified, right? That's the gospel proclamation going out to everyone. And how, did, how is it received? It's a stumbling block to the Jews. It means they can't, they can't get past it. They can't get past that there's, there's the law that I have to obey and we are God's people to be right with God. But now you're preaching that it, it comes through this Jesus and they can't get past it. They stumble over that. So they don't receive it, right? The, the, it was preached, but they don't receive it. So it's a stumbling block to the Jews. And it's folly to Gentiles. 
right? It's foolish. And that's how it's still viewed today in our world. This is foolish. It's foolish that you believe something like this. So the gospel call went out. It was proclaimed, and one group can't get past it. They stumble over it, and the other group thinks it's foolish. So they didn't receive it, right? They didn't accept it. And he says, but to those who are called. So this is a different group. Gospel proclamation still went out. These didn't receive it, but to the ones who are called, right? He's implying that something different happened. Both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So the called, something happens in them. Something happens to them. It's different from the proclamation. Those who are called understand it differently than others. And Jesus tells us why. In John chapter 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd and Skipping down to verse 25, Jesus says, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. So the reason why the gospel proclamation can go out and some people never respond to it, Jesus is saying is because they're not ones who are his sheep. And then he goes further. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So the good shepherd calls And the sheep, those who are called, hear his voice and respond. And those who are not the sheep, don't follow. Those who are not called, don't follow. Now, we keep proclaiming, right? Because you know from your own heart, the very first time that I heard the gospel proclaimed, I was like, "Mm, yeah, no thanks. Right, so, so we keep proclaiming. This isn't a, oh, shared it with them. They refuse, kicking the dust off my feet, and I'm moving on. Right? That's not what love does when we love someone. We share, we proclaim the gospel. And this is God. This is Jesus calling out to us. And Jesus is referencing Ezekiel chapter 34. It says, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep 
and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. God paints this picture of us, of him seeking out his sheep, him calling, and it isn't merely him proclaiming and saying this was a good idea. It's a summons. It's effective. He's not sitting up there wishing it would happen and hoping it would proclaim. And Paul's going to get into that very thing in Romans 8.29 and 30. Do you remember Lazarus? Right? There's a story in the Bible. We should relate very well to Lazarus because Lazarus died, was buried, dead, in the cave. We are dead in our sins. He was unable to respond or make himself alive. We are unable to make ourselves alive, but Jesus comes. But Jesus comes, could have stopped, right? Could have stopped Lazarus from dying, but he waits. Why? Because he says, because God is going to be glorified. So Jesus comes, and he comes outside the tomb, and he has him roll away the stone, and he calls him. And he says, Lazarus, come out or come forth, whatever your, your Bible translation says. You think Lazarus sat in there for a couple minutes and thought to himself, do I really want to do this? I enjoy being dead. He didn't, did he? And neither do we. When the shepherd calls and we hear his voice, those who are called come and they respond and they walk out of that grave what a glorious reason to, to praise Jesus that nothing is going to stop him from saving his sheep. Not you, right? He said that. You can't stop him. The world can't stop him. Satan can't stop him. Nothing can stop him from saving his sheep. As I said before, God doesn't just save us to save us, he saves us with purpose, his purpose. We know that we have an overarching purpose in all of life to glorify God in all that we do. Is it coming at me? How are these things still alive? Right, so we have this overarching purpose in all that we, we do to glorify God. We can't go wrong there. So his purpose that he called us to here in 828 isn't going to be outside of that, but context is going to give us more. And look at verses 29 and 30. He's going to clarify. For those that he, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. All right, so if he planned it was going to be this way, he's going to call them to be, to be this way. And if he's going to call them, those whom he called, he also justified. So if he's going to call them, he's going to put them in right standing. And if he's going to put them in right standing, could they lose their salvation? Could they screw this up? Jesus also, 
already said, no one's going to be able to snatch him out of my hand. He says, those whom he justified, he also glorified. Meaning our glorified body will be raised up upon his return. His purpose in the context of Romans 8 for calling us was to conform us to the image of his son. It's our holiness in his image. This is what he's talking about. If we're going to spend an eternity enjoying and worshiping Jesus, fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore, we need a glorified body. And if we're going to get a glorified body, we must be in right standing with God to be made holy. And if we're going to be made holy and be in right standing with God, then something has to happen to us. We don't naturally want God. We're dead in our sins. And dead people just don't wake up and choose God. We are dead like Lazarus in our sins. Something has to call us out of that darkness. Something has to call us out of that cave. It's our good shepherd who stands there. It says, come out. And we hear his voice calls us out of that darkness and into his marvelous light. We hear his voice and we respond. So what Paul's saying in Romans 8.28 is that if we are called, effectually called, then we know, we know Read the beginning of that verse. And we know. We don't assume. We don't guess. We don't even hope. We know that if we were called, that all things will work together for our good. That's big time. And we're going to get more into that whole things next week, but let me just give you a few. That good that he's talking about is being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So we know that all things, <clears throat> everything, every single thing that happens in our lives, if we are one of those who are called, is going to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. And that's huge. So any suffering we go through makes us more like Jesus as we cling to Jesus. Any trial that we go through makes us more like Jesus. Any difficulty we face makes us more like Jesus as we cling to him, as we hope in him. Any blessings we receive are intended to make us more like Jesus. Even our sin, even your sin, when the Holy Spirit convicts you and brings you back to repentance and God is glorified, even your sin conforms you to the image of Christ. All things work together for our good because we were called by God from death to life. And more on that next week. So some application. <clears throat> First, this verse focuses us on the truth that life is not about us, but about God and his purposes. We like to think that here we are, here's the world, we're like that center point, that axis, and the world just, it just revolves around us. Everything in life happens 
about us and 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 so we got to figure it out and other people got to 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 bend to our will and God's up there like a magic genie and and hey God this isn't working out for me I need you to make this how I want it but this verse reminds us it's not about us but it is about God's purposes so it puts us in the right perspective about life that there is a very big God and a very tiny us, right? But he loves us. He loves us so much that he sent his son to come and die for us. But it's still about him. So we say, the life I now live, I live for Jesus, who died and he gave himself up for me. It's not about me getting, living my best life now and doing what I want in the world. It's what, what, your kingdom come, your will be done. How can I live for you? Second, this verse reminds us that God has a glorious purpose and a glorious plan to redeem his people. And it will not be thwarted. If he calls us, he's going to redeem us. That is the best news for sharing the gospel. I said this before. We like to pick the low-hanging fruit. We like to see the person who's like hanging around the church door and they're struggling with something in life. And we're like, here's Jesus, right? There's not, a lot, there's not a lot of chance they're going to reject the gospel right there. But man, can we go out to everyone knowing that if God called them, there is nothing. I can't even screw this up and sharing the gospel with them. So we share the gospel with everyone. Even this Thanksgiving or this Christmas as you're sitting with somebody who does not want to hear it. Right? Maybe this year's the year. We can't mess it up. We don't know who it is. Third, this verse encourages us to trust God in all aspects of life, to hope in this great promise. If he loved us so much to give us his son and seek us out and call us to him, and this is the very thing that Paul's going to say in the rest of Romans 8, can't we trust his promises He's working all things to our good. If you're going to trust him with your death and your eternity, can you not trust him with your life? Can't you, if if you're going to trust him with something as big as fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, taking your punishment on the cross and living the life that you should have lived, if you're going to trust him with that, can't you trust him with your sin, your relationships, your job issues, your health, your finances, all these things? Can he not be trusted? And then can you trust that the things that are going on in your life, as you have been called by God, and next week as we're going to be reminded for those who love God, can't you not trust that he is working all things out for your good, 
for your good, for his glory, for your good. It's an amazing promise in a life and in a world that encourages us to think of ourselves, to focus on ourselves, that find our victim status, if you will. We who are called by God in all situations know that what is happening in our lives has a glorious purpose. And so the, 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 the rub, the thing that we struggle with this is, how, God? How is this for my good, right? In your difficult times. How is this for my good? That's where the belief is. That's where the faith comes in. Because he's saying, I'm using this to conform you to the image of my son. Do you trust me? It's it's not a good that says all things are going to work out to make you rich. It's not a good that says all things are going to work out to give you perfect health. It's not a good that says you're going to be famous or you're going to be without troubles or it isn't a good that says everything is going to go your way. It's a good that conforms you to the image of his son, his beautiful son, his holy and perfect son so that one day with our glorified bodies we can worship him perfectly without distraction with the fullness of joy forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, your grace is enough. We are dead in our sins and you called us. We resist, we resist, but you call us and we hear your voice and we follow. What love, what love that is to to call a people, a person like me who has rejected you, who has lived for the world, who has lived his life opposing you, that you love me and you forgive me, you call me out of that and call me to follow you. And then you love me so much that you spend the rest of my life in all things conforming me to your image so that I can worship you fully, so that I have nothing to be ashamed of, so that I can be who you created me to be. Thank you in a time of thanksgiving does not seem like enough, but Lord, thank you. Jesus, thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.